0: Yes everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Celtic View podcast and we have plenty to discuss today from the weekend's action plus all we'll the look ahead to another big week for all three sides including the first team with that Champions League tie against Shakhtar yes coming up on Tuesday evening we have a very special guest with Yeri Yarisik joining the podcast, a man who scored the last time we played Shakhtar Donetsk at home all the way back in 2007, Paul you're joining us again this week and there is plenty
1: to get into, isn't there? Well, we did, to be fair, we did warn people last week that, that we were probably going to be starting from this podcast talking about VAR. So, I think we were as, as good as our word. It was quite prophetic, actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, getting a, mo- a moment of the weekend for, from you, it's probably going to obviously come from the game against Hearts, a 4-3 win. Was there anything in particular in that game that,
1: you really enjoyed more than anything else? Anything that kind of stands out for you? I mean, I think Greg Taylor's winner and his celebration was fantastic. I mean, I think he's been, I think he's just been getting better and better since the the manager came in. I think he's, you know, really grasped the, the kind of style of football we're playing. I think he's really thrived on it. I think this season he's been exceptional. And then to come off the bench and then appear, as he said to you after the match, that it's maybe wasn't the manager's instructions yeah. to end up in the six yard box. But that just shows the desire of the team and to get that goal. And you could see how much it meant to him. So it was, that was wonderful.
0: Yeah, I think that'd have to be the same for me as well. And as you said... Uh, yeah, the manager saying to me didn't expect him to be in the centre forwards position. It's not what I asked of him at all. So um, just a brilliant moment and such a topsy turvy game. It was it was crazy. Um do we start with R or do we start with
1: the performance? What do you want to go with? I mean it's hard to extricate <laughs> the two of them. I mean I think the performance, I mean it was a great game and it was interesting again when the manager was speaking to you after the game, he said he would much rather have a four three win than a one-nil win from a purely entertainment point of view. And it was certainly a game that we deserved to win and I think it would have been an injustice in so many different levels if we hadn't taken all three points. And I think it's, you know, in terms of the team, I think it was credit to them that they didn't allow other things to to derail them or or knock them off their stride. And, you know, it was great to get the one. It's always great to win through there Um, anyway, but it was in the manner that we did was, was absolutely fantastic given everything that went on in the course of the 90 minutes. Right, let's let's talk about the action then and then we'll we'll quickly we'll quickly go into VAR
0: at, at the end of it all. Um in terms of just the game of football in general it was an absolutely amazing game. I think if you were a for, for ourselves obviously winning the match it was amazing. If you were a neutral you would have loved the match and uh, maybe not so much if you were a hearts fan. But um, just an amazing game of football that was it was extremely end to end. Frantic probably a game of the season so far as well but when you then get the result
1: at the end of those, they just those games become even sweeter. Yeah, although I I, I do think you can't analyse the game in, in in isolation from far because yeah. the key instance in terms of a Celtic perspective, yeah. that whole idea of goals change games, it, I think it would have changed the whole complexion of the game. So, for example, Anthony Ralston's goal that stands, where are two nil up against the Hearts side that, that weren't at full strength. We were we started the game strongly. I'm not sure that the game would have turned out the same way. Similarly, if we had got our penalty right on the stroke of half time, we're going at two one up. I think it changes the game again. So those things. I mean, it, it did make for a you know, it was a, a, a you know, it seemed like an end to end game, but I, I felt that that that's a, what we had to contend with as well. Yeah, in
0: terms of like the opening goal of the game, uh, James Forrest got his fourth goal in his last two league appearances. But in terms of that kind of end end nature, you saw that in that first goal because Hearts had a had a big chance just before that. We go straight up the other end and score from, from Forrest as well. Perfect start to the game. And then, as you kind of mentioned, Anthony Ralston seems to put his 2-0 in front. The referee blows his whistle before the ball hits the back of the net, which means VAR can't check for that decision to then overturn it. It was bizarre being in the stadium. Um, I don't think I've ever been at a game like that. We've had games here where VR's been in use, and it's worked quite quite smooth. Um, it's not really had much of a, an impact in the game. The referee there just gets that completely wrong because he blows early. Hopefully, you would like to think that's just part of the teething problems with with VR, That eventually referees will start to to understand that, but it was bizarre being in the stadium because nobody knew what was going on. And it was funny because I was sitting next to the Heart Stadium announcer in the press box. So he gets a kind of little call in his ear to say when a check's been made. So you're sitting there for ages, nothing's happening. I'm kind of giving him a nudge saying, do you know what's going on? And he's looking at me being like, I don't know what's happening here. And nobody in the ground knew what was going on. And I think obviously, that's maybe one of the, the things with VAR as well. You want to just see that process go a little bit smoother and a bit faster. And in terms of communication with the fans as well in the park could probably improve. But that was just a big error.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the ones where actually, I mean, it was in, to be fair, it was an innocuous foul anyway. I, I'm not even sure if it was a foul that no. the referee blew for. And as soon as he, he blew the whistle, that was my first thought. He's, he's He shouldn't have done that. He should have let the play unfold. Then if VAR has a look at it again, Anthony Ralston's onside; he doesn't impede anyone. It's a goal, but th- because that's the first time, you're, you're almost wanting to say, "Well, that's maybe just because instinctively the referee is blown when he sees a foul." It's going to take I'm them a bit saying, of time yeah. before they, they realise they have to let the play unfold. So you're almost that's one where it was an incorrect decision; it should have been a goal. But you, you, especially since, when you can be magnanimous and say, "Right, fair enough," the referee's just or, Done what he would have done any other week, and blown for what he sees as a foul, so he's maybe been a bit too quick to react. So that that's one where you can see that that's a teething, that's a teething trouble for it. Yeah, and it is easy for us to sit here because we have one, and
0: for a lot of people are saying, you know, you've won the game, why go over everything? But that game could have went completely differently. Hearts get back into it, they get a penalty. I actually don't know how the ref didn't see it, it wasn't, a, wasn't a penalty in the first place, you
1: know. I think when you win, it's more important to, to question these things. Yeah, I think, yeah. Because then it doesn't seem like sour grapes. You know, you don't have that sense of injustice. You've won the game despite VAR, not because of it, as, a, as I predicted last week. So therefore, I think it's legitimate. And I think the penalty is a perfect example. And I think, you know, both managers said the, the biggest one of the biggest grapes was the delay... But again, with that instant, it should have been a penalty. It was I think it was a penalty. I don't know why he didn't give it. But I think the delay was maybe because that was the very first time that the VAR referee was having to question the referee's decision and say to him, I think you should look at it again. So maybe that's why they want to check and double check and triple check. There's a certain irony in the fact it took nearly five minutes before they told the referee to go and look have a look at the decision given how quickly they dismissed our mm. penalty um, I think I don't even think it was 30 seconds so um, I don't know whether they'd you know they'd change channels or gone away early for the <laughs> half time cup of tea and the ball looking but that was extraordinary I
0: know and that's the thing with the games now that you're going to end up having these matches running for so much longer because the VAR's taking forever I mean there was five, six minutes of added time at the end of the first half I think by the time the game ended, it's a good like sort
1: of 15 minutes after you would usually expect a game to... I think those are the teething troubles. Again, that first penalty incident is quite a clear penalty. So I think with time, the, the VAR referee will just... All you have to look at is a couple of angles just to double check and say to the referee, you, you know, you have to go and have a look at that again. And it would have taken a minute or two off it. Again, I think was because it was the first time they were telling the referee, I think you might have made a mistake there. So that's fine. again ultimately the the decision's the correct one, even though it goes against us, but I think it's the it's the I think it's the handball yeah. that uh <laughs> the whole world um knew about which was extraordinary i mean it was it, it was so obvious at the time, I think you know from people at the stadium so it was a handball and again he, you always, I always think with these instances, you have to look at the referee and see where's his position. Does he still, does he think that Michael Smith is his hand at his side? So that, so again, you, even if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt, the reaction of the player who immediately puts his hand behind his back because he realises that it's a penalty because he moved his arm towards it. So again, he's never going to say, "Well, I've, I've, I've handled that as a penalty." VAR is there precisely for those instances because the referees, the VAR referee, Stephen McLean, gets to see that about three or four different angles. Every angle shows that it's a handball. Now, within 30 seconds, he's told the referee just to wave play on. I think, particularly in these early stages of VAR, what would be helpful is for the football authorities to come out and explain the thinking behind that, the process, because then people might understand why a VAR referee seen that incident in three or four different Angles where it hit, hit his hand, where the player moved his hand towards the ball, where the player then puts his arm up his back because he realises he's made a mistake. Why that wasn't? Why the referee wasn't told to go and have another look at that? Because if he had, it's a penalty to us. We go 2 one up at half time. I think it would be really helpful to know why the VAR referee didn't do that because I I can't think of a reason why. I think
0: from my position in VAR is i can i think i've I've been going into a little bit more optimistic with it just in general in terms of the concept
1: of it is that the optimism of youth as opposed to the cynicism (laughs) of middle age
0: well you can put it in that way if you want (laughs) but it's one of those things that i think in the grand scheme of things you're going to get more decisions right than you got right previously so for example, over the weekend, watching watching games of football, um, the first time it gets used in Scotland the Hibs, they think they're getting a penalty at the end. The referee over, uh, far overturns it. That's the right decision. I watched in, on Sunday um, a little bit of Swansea-Cardiff game, and it was um, they don't have VAR in the Championship. It's a guy who used to play for Motherwell, Cedric Keepy, playing for Cardiff. He jumps up to win a header, puts his arm up, <laughs> punches the ball away. It's clear as day. The referee doesn't see it. VAR would step in and give that. So you see those sorts of instances and you think, okay, fair enough. You're always gonna get debatable issues still with VAR. You're still gonna have decisions where we could think it's a penalty, other people don't think it's a penalty. For me, that handball is a penalty. I don't see it as much of a debate.
1: It's just the fact it didn't get reviewed. But it's not a debate. That's the th- that, to me, that doesn't class- that doesn't qualify as a debatable decision. You know, for two reasons. One is, you're absolutely right, I don't understand why... Well, the reason why it's not reviewed is because the VAR referee doesn't see it as a penalty. So if he thinks it's a penalty, he has to say to the referee, I think, you 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 need to go and have another look at it. Now, the referee might have a look at it, and he's still entitled to interpret it, but by and large, if the referee's told to go and have a look at it, it means he's going to change his mind. But it's not a... That's that's why I think there should be an explanation as to what the thinking, the, the, what the process was behind that particular incident because that's not a debate. If MD sees that, they know it's a, it is a penalty. It's not, you know, sometimes you see that there's challenges inside the box where sometimes you've seen them given, you've seen them not given. Sometimes, you know, like maybe a player puts his, his leg over the defender and sometimes he gets the, the penalty. Those are not open to interpretation. A deliberate handball, is just as clear, clear as day. So that, that's why I think it would be really helpful if they explained what the process was at the time, why the VAR referee watched that and thought, nah, it's not a penalty. Yeah, I think really the only other point I'd, I'd
0: have in VAR over the, the weekend in our game was, it's just that viewer experience when you're at the game compared to when you're watching on the telly because you get the replays on the television you might hear the commentators, they might have had a bit of information from VAR that they can pass on. So you kind of, you get to that decision a bit quicker, but when you're at, when you're at the stadium, it, the, the experience isn't
1: great with it. Because um, the advantage that you have, so I, I would have watched it on, on the TV, so you actually get, as a viewer, you get to see the different angles, which the VAR referee is seeing at the same yeah. time. Whereas, as you say, the spectators, whether and, and I think it's we've seen it before, where teams start celebrating goals, and then the players have to stand about for about three or four minutes before they can celebrate again. So it cha- it, it does change the whole dynamic of football. I think. Yeah. Going to the football a bit more
0: into that <laughs> second half. Um, obviously, Hearts then get themselves back into the game to make it to go two one in the front um, after a, a couple of minutes of the second half but then it was a brilliant response from us. Um, Yakimakis gets equaliser, Maeda puts a 3-2 in front. You're thinking, well, I mean, at that point, you're just thinking, hopefully you can have a little bit of calm in the game. Then Hearts get back into it again with with another penalty. Um, But again, it's just this team just, I feel like I say it every week and I feel like I'm getting tired of
1: saying it, but it's so true that they just don't know when to stop. Yeah, and I think, I think one, one of the. There were so many pleasing aspects in the, the performance. I thought Aaron Moy had a great game at the weekend. And I think, particularly in that second half, I mean, he had a hand in, in a couple of the goals. And th- that came after you know he had that great chance to have scored his first goal. And I, I think it's credit to him that maybe other players that might have played in their mind thinking, oh, I've blown this opportunity. That was a great chance to score. It was a chance to equalise. That would have been his first goal in front of the Celtic fans. But then he, he delivers the cross for the Giacomacchus goal. He then is the shot that, that Craig Gordon spills and, and Dyson Maida scores. And I thought he he'd had, he'd had a great game. I thought he was very impressive at the weekend. I was we were really pleased. I thought he was at the heart of, you know, I thought it was a really good team performance anyway, but um, he, he would have been one of the standouts for me. The manager said that, I
0: think last week, with the likes of Moy and Abel Abelgaard and, and Sabanovic who came in late, didn't have a pre-season he said they're only going to get better they're going to get stronger probably the second half of the year you'll probably see the best of them because not having a pre-season it does eventually catch up with your body but i thought Moy looked a lot fitter they looked stronger and um, looked more comfortable as well Um i think one of the the elements at the moment we were just kind of talking about it before is of course you miss Callum McGregor like no one can say that you don't miss him but it's the fact that we're still winning games and you're not looking at a team going, oh, like we desperately need Cal McGregor in there. That sounds bad saying that, but it's like the way that O'Reilly's come in, he's doing a job, Moy's come in, he's doing a job, everyone in the squad's coming in and it's
1: just kind of still moving seamlessly, even without him. I think that's the benefit of, of playing in a particular style and having the team having a particular identity, that if you're, if a player is asked to play a specific role, they know what that role is. Now, they might not be able to play it as well as, you know, for example, Callum McGregor, who, you know, he would come back in and then it allows, it frees up Matt O'Reilly to move forward. But then it also allows the manager to see, well, if, if for any reason we're not without we're without the captain, then we know Matt O'Reilly can, can fit in there. We know Aaron Moy can push forward. He's, he's looked excellent. So I think when players come in now, because quite often it's funny, you sometimes see, uh, when you watch other games, and there was a game, I think Spurs at the weekend, where they brought on a substitute, and actually the commentators said, I don't think anybody knows where they're playing, yeah. because the substitute kept looking over to the bench, and they changed. They seemed to change the whole dynamic of their team. Whereas when our players come on, if they're playing a specific position, they know that's the style of play, that's the identity, that's what they're supposed to do, and I think that's where you see the real benefit, particularly when key players like Callum McGregor are missing the... the the shape of the team, the style of the play, everything else, as you say, is seamless because then the players know, well, well this is the role I have to fill now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought my dad had
0: a, a good game as well. Um, great to see him get a goal. We've obviously touched on Greg Taylor getting the winning goal. And an incredible moment for him, but the team in general. And I think when you look at that weekend, those types of games, hearts away, winning it in the manner we did. It is just three points, but they have that little sense that they feel a little bit more from my point of view anyway
1: yeah and obviously the way the results panned out elsewhere we end up at the end of the weekend with four points clear at the top of the table i think i think those games you know those are the ones where you know teams start to i think we start to think certainly supporters you start to think well nobody can beat us and i wonder whether the psychology of it is that other teams start to think that, even if you know, they're, they're hanging on there or they're, they're maybe winning or they're drawing late in the game. They know this Celtic team is going to keep going. And I, I think what's been really interesting, and the managers kind of alluded to it a couple of times in these interviews, where they've obviously looked ahead, the fixtures, and seen that this there's a really hectic schedule between now and the start of the World Cup. And it's almost as if they've, they've almost like planned in advance, this is the team, I know that's not the case, but, you know, so that every player is getting them out of game time. So if somebody comes in, it's not like they haven't played for two or three weeks or somebody's been playing for too long. Everybody's coming in and you can see there's a freshness every time. The manager's making four or five, six changes. There's a real freshness every time we play. Every player that comes in, they're all, they've all bought into that and they're all, you know, we've seen it with James Forrest the last couple of games. We've seen it when Abadis has came on, Yakimakis at the weekend. I felt sorry for him at the weekend. I thought he was great again. I think obviously nobody's told Celtic that falling down under a challenge seems to be an offence now because obviously Ryan Porteous has uh, pioneered that. But I thought there were so many incidents at the weekend where under, I think they must have just heard Jackie Marcus coming towards them. They just fall, fall down and they get a foul. I, I, I found that really <laughs> frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I th- as you mentioned, the fact that you're making so many changes, I think that speaks for the culture that the managers created, because, like footballers probably they want to play every single game, but it's making an environment that every game, if you're dropped to the if you're on the bench, it's not necessarily that you are dropped; it's that you need to come on and affect the game later on. And having that buy-in from the whole group is, is really really important when you have so many games. Because the manager said, like, people talk about Kyogo or, or Yakimakis to him, and he's like, well, like. If I play every single one, of, if I play one of these players for every game, they'll break down. So you almost kind of use them as like one striker, but in two different players. And, you know, you've got one for one game, one for the other.
1: And it's really important. I think I think we benefit, you know, there's a couple of things. You can see it from other teams that are, you know, particularly the, the other Scottish teams that are playing in Europe. They're all picking up injuries as well. And it, and it really stretches the squad. You saw it with Hearts at the weekend, did some players missing. I think the lessons of last season where we maybe didn't have the strength and depth and so we were having to play the same players, you know, maybe Keogh and David Tumble were perfect examples of eventually that caught up with them and so this season I think there's been a real, again it goes back to, I think, the fact that we've got a a specific style, a specific identity. So, you know, if Dyson Mida plays, he knows what he's doing in that role. If Haksapanovic comes on, he does the same. Greg Taylor's a perfect example of a, of a player who comes on, as you say, he he impacts the game. He scores the winning goal and, you know, he's only on the pitch for about 20 minutes, but what what an impact.
0: Yeah. Um, We'll kind of look ahead now to the games coming up. We'll touch uh, mainly on on Shakhtar just after looking ahead to Livingston away because that's the next league match. Um, We saw them get a result at the weekend, which obviously went in our favour. Livingston away... Always a, a game where you look at in the calendar and you think, tough tough venue, tough pitch. But we got a really positive result there last season, the last time we went there. And the way that we're playing at the moment, the number of goals that we're scoring, I don't think, for me anyway, I'm going into the match and having that same thinking of, oh, it's Livia away. this is going to be, it will still be difficult, don't get me wrong, but you just have so much confidence
1: in the team at the moment. Yeah, I mean, they, they did get a good result. They were unlucky, I think, if they'd stayed 11 against 11, they'd have probably won the game at Ibrox. So they, and I think at home they are a different proposition. I think that, that pitch does have an impact. They are a very physical team as well. They've got quite, a, quite an imposing physical aspect to their team. Um, I think, in some respects, it's remarkable what they've done because, I mean, they, when you look at any game that doesn't involve Celtic, their game, I mean, it's a, a smattering of people in the stands. They have such a poor support just in terms of numbers because they're caught between the the, the draw of the, the, the Glasgow teams and the draw of the Edinburgh team. So they're kind of stuck right in the middle. So they have a very small fan base. So the fact, I think they're punching above their weight in terms of, I'm guessing, in terms of turnover income as, as a club. So that's that's credit to them. And they do make it difficult for us, absolutely. So I think it's going to be a really tough game again at the weekend. I think it's beneficial to us that we're playing on Tuesday and then we don't play till Sunday. So it gives the players a few days in terms of rest, recovery, and, and preparation as well. But that's, that's actually probably one of the, the most difficult away games that, that we'll face mm-hmm. in a season just because of the, the way they play. And, and, you know, particularly at home, they're just very much quick back to front and just. Trying to to physically impose himself in the yeah. game.
0: They've got good quality in the team as well, Livingston. But the prerequisite is you need to work hard to be in that team, and they all do. And I don't know where they always find these big six foot four strikers, but they always seem to have one. And that Newbly seems a, a bit of a player. Obviously scored at the weekend. Um, he's really kind of showed his his class this season for, for Livingston. So he'll obviously be a threat as well. Um, but yeah, I just, for me, I think the way that we are playing, I think the manager says that a lot of the time, they obviously look at the opposition, but the main thing is, if we perform, we know we're difficult to beat. So it's just about us turning up and, and performing.
1: Yeah, and I think the encouraging thing was when we played them last season, and that was the first time in a long time we'd beat them in the league through there.
0: Yeah, first time since they'd been back up in the yeah. league. So yeah. And it was
1: impressive, the way we played, and we, we absolutely dominated that game, even missed a penalty as well, so... Yeah, I think it'll be encouraging. Mm. And, and given the fact that we've got that wee gap at the top of the table, you want to just keep that going.
0: Shakhtar on Tuesday night in the Champions League. Now, we can't qualify for the last 16 now, have the results that have, have went our way so far. There still is the possibility of, of qualifying for Europa League. We'll need to beat Shakhtar on Tuesday night and then go to Madrid and get a result and hope results also fall in our favour as well to, to finish third. What we want to do though is the fact that we've had so many performances already we've played really well we've missed just chances if we take some of them the games are are different stories we want to get a victory to get a kind of that feel good factor again in in the in Europe and also you really want to go into that game against Real Madrid with something
1: to play for yeah absolutely and i think the the corresponding game in Warsaw against Shakhtar was certainly one that you know we got the point but we should have won that game. I mean, we, we dominated the second half. I don't think Shakhtar had a single chance in that whole second half. We completely dominated. And again, it, it, it is the kind of, it's been the, the commentary on this campaign. Again, the manager spoke about it as when, when he's been asked about it. It's not that we've been outplayed or outclassed or we're out of depth. It's simply those fine margins between taking your chances or not because we are creating chances. So that, is the most encouraging thing, and you know here that that will be the case again. I think Shakhtar have shown, you know, I think the in the last game against Real Madrid, they sh- they showed their quality. So it will not be an easy game, regardless of the fact we dominated the the first game. But that would be the most encouraging thing that you think. Well, at home, and we've had a, a rich seam of goal scoring form as well. So the players and the goals are coming from all over the pitch as well. So I think you have to go into the game confident. And as you say. You win that game, you go to to the Bernabeu. It's you know regardless of whether Real Madrid play the strongest team or not the strongest team. I think even if they don't, it's still going to be really really strong. I think that's, these things are all relative. It'll be really tough, but you know that's what you want. You want to go to the Bernabeu with that, the prospect of maybe getting a result that might keep us in Europe after Christmas?
0: I thought you were going to say the weakest team, but, and I was going to correct you and say yeah, they definitely <laughs> don't have a weaker team in Real Madrid. But no, that, that's, that's really important. And I think even if it transpires that we don't finish third and you fall out of, of Europe altogether, I think for the team to get a victory, for that, just to have that element of here's a signpost of a progress because... We got a good result away to Shakhtar and um, probably, as you said, should have won that game with the chances that we had. In all the other games, we've had really, really good spells of pressure and chances. And that is a sign of progress. But I think to get a victory, just to say, right, here, here we are, we can, we can 100% compete at this level. We go back into the competition, hopefully again next year. And we're going to improve in those four points or whatever it is we end up on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what's dangerous about Shakhtar is the fact that they'll go into the game knowing that if they get something from the game, then they're guaranteed finishing at least third. So that that makes them dangerous. But I, I do think, and we've seen it from the, the home games so far, that you know, we, we if we start strong and get the first goal, I think that's important. If we can get the first goal. Then I'm confident that we'll go on and we'll get the three points.
0: Yeah, well, I'll get your prediction for that game a little bit later <laughs> I'm still on. Still playing that
1: game? I thought I thought you'd given up. Oh, I don't, don't start on that. <laughs> um, but
0: we've got a, a exclusive interview now with Yeri uh, Yaric, a man who played the last time that Celtic played Shakhtar Donetsk at home in the Champions League, a 2-1 victory back in 2007, and Yeri scoring the equaliser on that evening. The result which ended up. With Celtic qualifying for the last 16 of the Champions Leagues.
2: And Yuri looked back on that match and his time at Celtic.
0: Yeah, absolutely delighted to have Yuri Jarosic on the podcast to look back on his Celtic career and to that game against Shakhtar Donetsk back in 2007. Yuri, Really great to have you on. First of all, how are you and and what are you up to
2: just now in your life after playing football? Hello everyone, it's uh, Yuri. eh? Uh, um, I'm still on the football because uh, now I'm head coach. That's why I'm very close to football. And uh, of course it was a good time in the Celtic. I have a lot of memories and always looking for Celtic.
0: Brilliant, that's great to hear. Let's uh, go back to the start of your Celtic career. You you joined the club from Chelsea back in 2006. You had a loan spell at Birmingham City as well. Just tell us about how the move came about and why you decided to join Celtic at that time.
2: Yeah, I have a good uh, season in Birmingham and I have uh, two, three uh, different offers but uh, I decided for Celtic because Celtic is still a big name of uh, football world, And uh, I wanted to win titles again. And I wanted to uh, play Champions League in front of these amazing fans. That's why I decided in signing for Celtic. What do you remember
0: about your first few days of signing for Celtic? Does anything stand out about moving to Glasgow and meeting the, the players in the dressing room?
2: I can say only nice words because uh, the people inside and out of the club uh, were very nice and friendly uh, and happy to help me all the time. And uh, and I also liked uh, how the people and everyone in the club uh, loves football and they are proud of uh, to be in Celtic, you know. And of course, the, the teammates uh, was uh, great and, and the coaches too. That's why I was satisfied in uh, Celtic. So Gordon Strachan was the
0: manager when he signed you. What did he say to you to try and bring you to the club, and
2: what was his expectation for yourself? In this time, I think in uh, Celtic uh, wasn't too many players who has experience with the Champions League, and that's why maybe they want to sign me because I play. Uh, uh, in Champions League uh, for Sparta Praha and uh, CSK Moscow. That's why maybe they want, uh, but they need uh, players who has this experience, and
0: maybe that's why. You talk to us a little bit more about those European nights because when you signed that season, Celtic went straight into the group stages of the Champions League in 2006. We had Benfica, Copenhagen. Manchester United and our group, just how special were those occasions and how excited did you
2: get going into those games? Well, I told you, uh, uh, because uh, for example, uh, we had a big uh, success because uh, we played in front of these uh, fans because they give you strength and courage, you know, and we play very well at home, Special at home. And, of course, uh, we have good uh, memories because uh, uh, if you beat uh, good uh, and big teams like, what did you say, like Benfica or Manchester United, this is uh, good uh, for everyone, not only for the fans and, of course, for the players and for the club. You're remembered in that
0: game against Manchester United because you won the free kick for Nakamura to score from just... Tell us a little bit more about your memories of that night, and that game in particular.
2: It's quite difficult to say, for example, one memory because of the time was a great team, Manchester United, and we beat them at home. Uh, of course, I remember uh, the free kick of Nakamura because uh, in front of uh, he was excellent uh, player and he has excellent left foot. And I think in this game we, we were not uh, better than Manchester United. But uh, I told you we play for for uh, with the strange and uh, we had a courage. That's why maybe we beat them because uh, um, in this time was Manchester excellent team. In
0: terms of the atmosphere at Celtic Park. How much does that push you on
2: as a player? What does it give you inside? Uh, Celtic has has, uh, incredible fans and uh, they give you everything, you know? That's why you are there on the pitch and you want to show him uh, fight to the end and you believe that you can win on 95 minutes, for example, because the atmosphere there is amazing, you know? Everybody who played there, all all the time, uh, speaking with me or with the friends, and everybody uh, want to repeat it because the atmosphere there is so fantastic.
0: There were some other big European nights you where you played in the game where we beat AC Milan 2-1 in the following season. But let's look specifically at the game against Shakhtar Donetsk. What were your memories going into that match? Because it was a very important game for Celtic. If we wanted to qualify for the last sixteen,
2: like every every game in the, especially in the Champions League, is very important for every everybody. And of course, uh, we play. I think it was last last game the group, and we must win. We we losing one 0 and then um, we um, we score for one one and. I don't know, it's it's my goal. Yeah, it's my goal for 1-1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and uh, on the end, uh, we won 2-1 and, and everybody was happy, uh, special for me. Of course, if you score in the Champions League is something special, you have good memories. It was a nice shoot. And uh, I was very happy, of course, to win the game and, of course, to help uh, to my team to win this game.
0: The team under Gordon Strachan that you played in got so many big results in Europe at home. What was it about the team that enabled them to get those types of results against the best teams in
2: Europe? Of course, we concentrate uh, for every these uh, Champions League games because it was something special for everyone. And uh, we put our maximum uh, But uh, I tell you, it's difficult, for example, because we play at home very well, but we have problem away, the games. Win or play well, that's why we need to change a little bit our mind. But we have a great, in this time, great manager. And I tell you, like before, at home, we can beat everyone. That's why we are concentrate uh, for every every situation in the, in this in this situation in the pitch and and that's it. No. As you mentioned, the game against Shakhtar,
0: we got off to the worst possible start because they took an early lead. But you were the person right in the stroke of half time to score an absolute screamer of a left foot volley. Just tell us about your memories of that goal in particular and what was going through your head as the ball fell to you?
2: Like, uh, I want to start, like, uh, we play, I remember, like, 4-4, maybe 1-1 or 2, doesn't matter. I play uh, on the left, like, left... uh, And this is not my position, for example, but I remember this game, I play well. And, uh, yeah, I told you before, we are losing this game, but... We want to win this game. That's uh, that's why we push them to the to the back. And it was I remember the situation. It was long ball to the 16-yard box to Shakhtyor, and two central defenders uh, jumped to uh, go, throw the ball. And I collect uh, the rebounds and I shoot from the left uh, footed. It. it was my uh, left, but I have both uh, of. Uh, good quality, that's why I shoot from the one-touch and uh, it was an amazing goal but very important because in this time we play 1-1 and we have a chance to uh, win this game again. Where does that goal rank for you amongst
0: your favourite memories and favourite goals in your career? Because scoring in the Champions League must be so special in such a big game.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true because you don't score a lot of goals, I wasn't a striker, you know, that's why I have every goals in my memories. But uh, for me, of course, goals and wins are very important, but I was all the time like teammate players, you know, for me, if we if we win or won like team, it was for me a little bit in front of uh, my, for, the, for example, my goals or my good actions, you know. For me, it's important uh, how we play like team and how we can be satisfied like team. Then, uh, for example, I play well, but we lost, for example, you know, I don't like it. Uh, that's why I was very happy in this time. I remember that, that uh, goals, but uh, more important is wins for, uh, for the team and for the Celtic.
0: Can you remember what the noise was like in the stadium when that ball hit the back of the net? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw. I don't know how, when, uh, last time the 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 goal from this uh, game. Yeah, it was something special because uh, you want to see, of course, a nice goal. But did you see the all ground in on the on the feet and they are absolutely in fun, fantastic atmosphere they are everybody is celebrating the goals and we are one team with with the with the fans it was something special that's why we was very um, a strong team at at home what do you remember then about the second half
0: of that game that goal must have given the team a lot of confidence going in at half time but if i remember correctly Shakhtar Donetsk were quite a strong team back then
2: yes of course uh, it's true we can say not only about about us in this time Shakhtar Donetsk was excellent team they have a lot of brazilian player players and uh, they are fighting too for they uh, win that's why uh, uh, they was a little bit surprised that uh, we can beat them, but uh, yeah, it's it's football only and in this time we, we were better, you know, and we score and we qualified for the last stage and that's why we were very happy and we have good memory. Yeah, it was Massimo Donati that scored
0: in injury time to get the win that would then see us into the last 16. Just tell us about your memories of... Where you were in the pitch when that went in,
2: and how you remember it. And I remember that uh, the players of uh, Shakhtar go go down on the on the field, and they are dead. Of course, they put uh, their maximum, and they want to, they fight for for win as uh, our team, you know. But this is football. Win you can win only can win only one team. And we was a little bit more lucky. And I remember he scored maybe left foot two. It was not so nice goal, I remember, but very important. You know, doesn't matter. Nobody asked it now how they scored, but uh, maybe it was uh, first goal for him in the Champions League. That's why he will be remembered to, to, to the end, you know? Yeah, they're amazing
0: memories to look back on. Jerry, um just to finish up on, in terms of when you look back on your Celtic career as a whole, you were there for two seasons. How do you remember your time at Celtic?
2: Uh, yeah, it was, it is a little bit, uh, uh, maybe how, how long, maybe 12, maybe more years ago. Of course, uh, I am happy for that decision, you know, and of course I will be all the time a big fan of Celtic. I wish you all the best. And I hope I can go one time to back to, to Scotland, to Glasgow. And I want to be once in, uh, in the spent in the stadium. And uh, uh, I want to show my, for example, for my family, for my kids. And I show them this place and this stadium and this club because, yeah, I was satisfied. And of course, I will be all the time remembering this time in the Celtic. No, that's great. Yeri. thank you so much. Um, Yeah, you're definitely welcome
0: back at Celtic Park any time. And thank you so much for taking out the time to speak with us and looking back in that match against Shakhtar Donetsk. It's really, really good to speak to you.
2: Okay, I wish you all the best for the next, next game and I hope we can uh, see each other on the stadium of uh, Celtic.
3: Yeah, great to hear from Yeri Yarisik there,
0: and really, really fond memories for him in his time from Celtic and that match against Shakhtar Donetsk. Paul, at the weekend, um, the B team were in action, the women team were in action, uh, they continued the defence of the League Cup. Unfortunately, bowing out of the competition, finished 1-1 against Spartans. Celtic had gone down. They lost, uh, got someone sent off as well, Jacinta. Got a red card in the match. Went to penalties. Spartans won in penalties. It must have just been a really disappointing afternoon, afternoon for, for Fran Alonso on the women's side.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think given... The last season we won both of the, the domestic cups I think the plan obviously the aim was to try and win them and then have a real goal in the league which I think is obviously still the case. I think you know at the point when we had just sent off I think we were 1-0 up we were dominating the game and even after we went down to 10 players I think we were certainly the stronger team we had chances throughout the game to I think and I think a second goal would have won it for us and it was almost I think with the last kick of the, the 90 mm-hmm. minutes that Spartans equalised but even then, in, in the extra time, and we saw that from the Scottish Cup final last year, that even down to 10 players, this is a team that just always keep going forward. So I think that would be, that would probably be the most frustrating thing, I think, for the team. The fact that even on the day and with a numerical disadvantage, we should have won it. But you know, if it had been 11 against 11, we would definitely be in the semi-final. But that's, I suppose, that's it's, it's cliche to say. It's the nature of cup football that these things can happen. And... Spartans on the semi-final, and, and obviously we're out. I think that also just goes to
0: show how amazing their achievements were last year to go on and win two domestic cup trophies in one season. Because, as you mentioned, in cup games, anything can happen. You you lose a player to, to a red card, to injuries, teams score in the 90th minute. You know, all these things can happen, and it felt like just the epitome of a cup game. They all happened in that. 120 minutes of football for for Celtic and then the resulting penalties as well. Um, but for them, you know, they've got a big game this weekend as well, Glasgow City away in the league. So there's there's no time to to sit back and feel disappointed. They're going to have to go again
1: in, in a, a top of the table clash. And I think this is the first challenge of the new season because it's been an impeccable record up to now. You know that in the league we've won all our games. We haven't conceded any goals. And I think they would have gone into that game full of confidence thinking, right, that we'll get to the semi-final and even what transpired over the 120 minutes, they would have looked back in that action and say, well, we should have gone through and I haven't seen the reaction from, from Fran yet in terms of what he thought about the, the red card. I think it was the sent. I think it was a red card, so I don't know what they thought about that and obviously that did have an impact on the game because then he has to change things. So that's difficult, but it is, it is the first challenge. You know, it was never going to be... 100% throughout the course of the season so it's how the players pick themselves up this weekend that is, as you say, it's a big big challenge for them but I think that, you know, I've been impressed with the way that they've played it's, you know, there's a lot of new players they seem to have gelled really quickly and, you know, I, th- I think if they can put that they have to, well, they have to put that behind them which I suppose that's the nature of, of you know professional footballers the fans can, can wallow <laughs> in defeats the players have to put that behind them and then just focus and I'm sure after a, a day or two when they report back to training that's what, exactly what the message will be from Fran like let's just focus ahead you know get another three points on the on the on the table because I think Fran said after the game against Spartans that
0: he wasn't really disappointed in terms of the effort and application of the players it's just one of those games where these things can happen but what a way to bounce back it would be if they can go and beat Glasgow City who themselves are undefeated in the league and just start to build a little gap because, you know, beat Glasgow City last year in both cup finals, but then to do it in the league would be would be another step in, the, in their, their ambitions to try and challenge for the title this season.
1: Yeah, and we've mentioned it before that the, the biggest tests in the league were ahead of the team, and that was Glasgow City and against Rangers. So this is the first big test at the weekend. And I think regardless of, of the result of the weekend, we will take Glasgow City on fuller confidence. You know, there's, there's a lot of good play, a lot of goals in the team. So hopefully that, that'll that that will materialise at the weekend. And I, th- I think it'll be a big win for us if we can get the three points. Well, ahead of the match. Last week we, we didn't have a
0: My Game, My Words, but it's back this week and it's Taylor Otto who is in the hot seat, the American defender slash striker as well. She can play up front. Sat down to tell us
2: her life story and how she's ended up at Celtic.
3: I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio area and I started playing soccer when I was 4. I moved to North Carolina when I was 12. I started playing when I was young, but I think I always like just loved it more than other sports and so I took it pretty seriously since like a younger age. And then when I moved to North Carolina actually, I Was like so angry because I loved uh, like the Cleveland area and all my friends there. So I was like, Oh, I'm I'm done. I'm not playing soccer. I'm quitting. Like just like go against my parents. (laughs) And so it lasted for like two weeks, and then I started playing again in North Carolina. So yeah, yeah, moving at that age was hard because I. I don't know. At that age, you just like love all your friends, and like that's all you care about. So I was just like, I don't understand why you're making me leave. Like this makes no sense. But um, it ended up being a really good thing. And obviously, I made new friends in North Carolina, and I had great coaches there and a great experience there. So yeah. From probably when I was like 13 or 14, the only thing I ever wanted to do was play soccer. And like people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I was like a soccer player. And to this day, like there's really nothing else I want to do. I mean, obviously, eventually I'm going to have to do something else. But um, yeah, it's it's always been what I want to do and it's going to be what I want to do until I can't anymore. So I mean, obviously, we make a lot of sacrifices and you do feel like you're missing out on a lot of things at that age. But then also at the same time, like you're enjoying what you're doing. So you don't in a way like when I look back on it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I could have been involved in a little more a little done a little bit more things outside of uh, the sport. But I think if you want to get to this level, like that's what you have to do. So for me, I think it was worth it. In America, they've done a good job of, I guess, like making a path for women in sports now. It's, it's a huge movement, and there's a lot of women that have kind of made that more of a, I guess, like, reliable path for us. Like, we can make a living on it. And so for that, I'm very grateful that Um, Like where I grew up I was able to like look up to people and be like yeah This is what I want to do. So I think the way that America has gone about it is is very good And obviously there's still room for improvement, but yeah It it was a big reason as to why I could sit there and say yeah This is what I want to do when I grow up. So I've actually had five knee surgeries Um, I had two ACLs one when I was 15 and then I came back from that and six months after I was cleared I did it again and then I was out for nine months and then every like two years I had um a few scopes in my knees so yeah I think those were really big moments for me where uh I kind of decided like yeah this is something I really want to do like I'm injured but I'd rather take the time to heal and get back on the field than kind of like go a different direction so as much as those injuries were difficult for me. I think they allowed me to realize that like this is really what I want to do and appreciate the game a little bit more. When I was 14 or 15 I committed to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I was there for five years. I loved every minute of it there. I think it was a great environment. It's it's a cool environment because you do have to figure out like a balance of your social life, your academic life as well as performing as well as you can on the field. Um, For me, I didn't, I I didn't find it like too difficult because I think you just, you like put your head down and you're like, yep, this is what I gotta do. You wake up, get it done, you're busy. By the time you're done with your day, you're like a little bit exhausted and you just kind of get into a rhythm of things. Um, But yeah, you definitely have to be very disciplined, Um, but it's a lot of fun and I, wouldn't give it up for the world. I loved my five years in college. January of 2021, I was drafted to Racing Louisville in the NWSL and I played there for a year and a half. And then I decided to move overseas and come here to Celtic. I've had a really good experience. Um, I've loved it here and I really love the group of girls here. So um, I know, I feel like people aren't always that lucky. Like I've gotten really lucky in that aspect. Um, I haven't had like a time where I've been like oh like this has been like really hard for me like I've really enjoyed it here and I think everyone's been so welcoming and made it easier for me um but yeah I think the only thing that was really like difficult for me was kind of the accents a little bit so I think similar to everyone we just really want to win everything that we can and that's a big goal for me and I think here as well as anywhere I just want to get better and be the best player that I can and learn as much as I can from the coaches and players that I'm around every day. So yeah, that's very important to me. Looking back, I think I don't think I've ever given my parents like enough credit for how much like they've always been there for me and like supported me, Um, as well as um, Anson Dorrance, which was my college coach, he really helped me developed not only as a player but as a person and that I'm very grateful for and I think has allowed me to feel comfortable enough to come move to a different country or just I mean integrate in different environments so for that I'm very grateful and I think he has had a very big impact on my soccer career. I think 12 year old me would be very excited and happy with the position that she's in now.
2: So no B team action in the weekend there, but this week,
0: Paul, they have Shakhtar Donetsk as well in the UEFA Youth League. They currently sit with one victory from four games and that was in the away game against RB Leipzig. The last match was RB Leipzig at home, which they were defeated in. Um, What's for the B team What's the kind of important things for them going into this match? We hear a lot about the performance levels and that's almost sort of superseding the results. But if they could get another result in the, the UEFA Youth League and maybe end the, the competition on, on two wins, then that would be a real
1: positive for the team. Well, you, you're, you're writing them off against Real Madrid as well, anyway well, <laughs> At least. But I mean, I think, I think what you said uh, applied perfectly to the game against Shakhtar. I think we lost that one 2-1 but we were very unlucky I think the performance was excellent I think both Daniel D and Steve McManus were delighted with the, the application of the players given you know the heavy defeat they'd suffered against Real Madrid here in the first game and I think we were unlucky to lose that game so I think it's one of those ones that again the learning experience from the, the, the home game against Leipzig is you know, I think we, we lost goals early on and it was kind of I think it probably derailed our, our attempts to to, to get anything from that game, so I think they'll go into it positive. You're hoping that maybe just the, the enforced break they'll be refreshed, they'll be desperate to play. Um, it's a big game for them, so yeah, I, I think they'll go into it full of confidence. And again, you know, it's a tough game because Shakhtar showed that they're they're a decent youth side, but I'm sure that I'm sure the B team are, will be hoping to, to get another win.
0: And hopefully, as you mentioned, their schedule recently has been a little bit disjointed in terms of not having regular matches at the
1: weekend I don't really know too much of the reason as to why that is well, I think um, partly because it, it was a couple of lowland league games but because quite a lot of the lowland league teams were involved in the Scottish Cup, Cup yeah. so that kind of curtailed most of the, the fixture list yeah so hopefully though
0: that gives them the weekend off and a little bit more time to to rest and, and prepare for, for the game against Shakhtar Donetsk, and hopefully can get another three points in the group stage of the Youth League I do, actually don't know if I, if I want to end the podcast and, and this not um, what we do every week now is, is end on a, a predictions game um, where each week we get a supporter on to play um, yeah for the fans and we go up against each other and go up against the supporters um, things aren't really looking too good for myself at the moment um, last week out of the seven games you got three correct results and um, so you got 11 points in total um sorry three correct score lines um you got 11 points in total you also got the uh result right in two other games um for the supporters they also got the commandant score right that, that you predicted so they got three points for that in total they got seven points and i only got four points so at the moment the standings are i'm in 12 Supporters are in 17, and you're in 23. That's good. <laughs> but listen, we said
1: we said last week it's a long season, so. Yep,
0: titles are won in May, March and listen, April. Listen, your, you're third May.
1: top at the moment, so be positive.
0: <laughs> this is the week. This is it. <laughs> right. So uh, <laughs> this week for the the fans, we've got Kieran Carruthers on uh, to take part. So we've got another seven games to go through. Um, Paul, let's start off then with uh, the first-team, Celtic against shakhtar Donetsk in the Champions League.
1: But I'm going to go for a home win, obviously. Uh, I'm going to go Celtic to win 3-2. I think it's going to be... Because I think Shakhtar will come in for the reasons I mentioned earlier on. They know if they can get something from this game. That, that kills our chances of the Europa League. I think it'll be a very open game, um, so I'm expecting a few goals. Okay. Uh, Keenan has gone
0: for 3-1. And I'm going for two-one a repeat of that game that are six scored on. Uh, so we've all got different scorelines for that. So that's as long good. as we win, that one, those ones, as long as we win, then it doesn't matter yeah. what scoreline. A 93rd minute winner as well, yeah. like Donati got in that game. We'll, t- <laughs> we'll take that. Um, the bees against uh, this Celtic against
1: uh, Shaktar B in the UFA Youth League. What are your thoughts? For that one, I'm going to go for two each. Again, I think they showed in the, in the last game that they've, you know, they've got some good attacking intent. As have we, I think, it's again, it's going to be end-to-end stuff, so I'm going to go for two apiece.
0: I'm going for 1-0, and Kieran is going for 2-0 in that one. Um, another game from the first-teams group in the Champions League, Leipzig against Real Madrid. Might be an interesting one, because you don't
1: know how Real Madrid are going to maybe change their team around. I think I think they'll win that. I think it would be 2-1, because I think that's the game you know, Real Madrid always qualify from the group stages. It's just a given. They just know, you know, that obviously they've got that quality. I think winning that game, they win they win the group as well. And then it just means that they can although it means it allows Ancelotti to maybe rest some players for when we play them, they'll, they'll still be a really strong team. But it just means it's they're not going into that game thinking, right, we still we still want to win this group. So I think they'll win two one. Kieran went
0: for 2-1, I'd also said 2-1 but I'll go different so we're not all three of us have the same result which now means that you're going to get 2-1 and I'm going to be right, re- yeah exactly. <laughs> so I'll go for, I'll go for 3-1 to the Madrid, I think they I think they'll win as well and then it means that, yeah as you said it's done and dusted for them. Um, a game from, so we've got a couple of, sort of Celtic affiliated games but two others, one from our Premiership up here in Scotland, one from the English one at the weekend, First of all, in
1: Scotland, Hibs against St Mirren. Ooh, that's, a, that's a tough one because both both those teams, Hibs, I think, probably until they went down to 10 men would have won that game against St Johnson. out crowd as well at Easter Road. St Mirren doing well, actually. Um, I'm going to go for two apiece again, two each. I've also went for teach actually, but I'm going to
0: stick with stick, it. Stick going. I'm going to stick with it, uh, and Keenan is—he's went for two nil Hibs, but yeah, I've exactly the same. Saint Mirren are going are going really well at the moment. Stephen Robinson—it's almost like the kind of mirror image of what Motherwell were four so. years ago. Yeah. you know, um, I think he might have finished third with them and they got did, a couple yeah. of cup finals yeah. against us. So, yeah, they're going well, and Hibs—I've watched them on some occasions and they've looked good on other occasions. Not so good, um, maybe drop points in games you expect them to win. So, I think it should be a good game anyway. Um, game down in England, uh, taking Brighton against Chelsea. I thought it's quite an interesting one, um, with Graham Potter going back to Brighton as well. Chelsea's results under them have been good. I don't know if their performances have been as, as great, and Brighton are always dangerous, particularly at home.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I think you're right, I think. It was interesting they played Manchester United the weekend, Chelsea, and they changed their tactics quite quickly because the way they'd lined them up wasn't working. And they almost won it, but I think they didn't. I don't know if they deserved to win it. I think Manchester United were probably the better team. Brighton haven't won yet under their new manager. No. Um, but I think it would be, it's just one of those... I'm going to go for two on Brighton, just for... You know, like football sometimes throws up these things where actually maybe logic and uh, reason is out the window but it's just one of those quirky things where Graham Potter's successor gets his first victory as Brighton manager yeah. over Graham Potter's Chelsea so I'm going to go 2-1 Brighton.
0: Yep, yeah. uh, Keane has went for 1-0 Chelsea and I'm going 1-1 each uh, exactly the same I think Brighton have looked good also, just only saw their highlights against Man City and again had a scored a goal had a good couple of chances but I mean City have Haaland so and De Bruyne, so it's yeah. game over. Doesn't really matter. Um, two other games uh, for ourselves: Livingston against
1: Celtic on Sunday. I'm going to go two one for Celtic. I think it's uh, these games. Are, I, I mean, I hate going there. I mean, it's just it's a horrible. I hate the plastic pitch. I, I just it's not a great. It's not been a great venue for us. I think they they'll be going to the game full of confidence. They'll definitely, you know, physically they'll they'll try and impose themselves. But I, I think just now, kind of what you said earlier on, we've just got too much about it's just now. So two one for Celtic.
0: I'm going three 0 I'm feeling quite, that's, I'm feeling quite good about it. I'll yeah, that. yeah. And, and Kieran's going four now, So I mean, I'd, I'd rather that. But yeah, um, no, I think uh, Livingston are always difficult, and I always feel bad, kind of going into the game and thinking that you know we're going to be quite we going to be quite comfortable against them because if you look at the recent past we never have been comfortable against them so um yeah recent history wouldn't wouldn't really prove that but i just think the way that we're playing at the moment we're, we're playing really well a lot of rotation in the team so yeah 3-0 for me and then finally is uh the big game in, in
1: the women's league glasgow city against celtic again that's a a tough one but i'm going to go for two one. Celtic, uh, Clarissa with a double. <laughs> <Take, laughs> goal scorer Yeah, well, I as well. I'm so far ahead, I can, <laughs> I can get a bit about it. Uh, yeah, I think they'll. I think they will bounce back. I think that will be. I don't think the team would have needed any extra motivation, but I think they'll be. They'll probably. Be quite hurt at losing at the weekend and I think there'll, there'll be a real determination in the squad this week to, to bounce back and show how good they are so I'm going to go 2-1 Yep
0: 2-1 for myself as well and uh, Kieran has gone for, for 1-0 so a couple of different results in there but uh, but yeah I think they'll I think they'll bounce back and they'll get it done and hopefully I get it done as well <laughs> <laughs> this week and <laughs> I can be sitting in a better position than 12 and 11 points behind you already because god that is yeah I'm not happy about that. Uh, But yeah, no, thanks very much for joining us for another episode of the Celtic View podcast. Do join us again next week to see if I've improved in those results uh, as we look ahead as well next week to the big game against Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. But yeah, thanks for now. Cheers.